All right, everyone, if you would, uh, open up your Bibles. We're looking at Psalm 27, as I said before. We're continuing on in our sermon series, our summer series, titled Centered on the Psalms. What would it look like uh, when our lives reflect more and more of these beautiful psalms? Um, What would it look like if our lives become centered on the Word of God here? Um, It's also printed in your bulletin if you don't want to open your Bible. We had a beach party last Saturday night, and the sun went down, and dozens of kids were eating their s'mores, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, against the backdrop of dark skies, a fireworks display erupted, and all began ooing and awing. Isn't it true? You could be having a bad night, but when the fireworks burst in the sky, something within your soul changes, right? In Psalm 27, King David launches a fireworks display against the backdrop of the darkness of life, against the backdrop of trials and tribulations, against the backdrops of our anxieties towards the future, and even against the backdrop of our mediocrity or lukewarm Christian living, David launches this fireworks display of Psalm 27. David's statements are like one grand firework erupting after another. This is who God is. This is what he means for you as his people. And the effect isn't just to make us ooh or ah. The effect is to work into us two critical character traits of God's people. Traits that you and I desperately need in order to live a life of victory in this broken and dark world. These traits... Confidence and courage. As I read Psalm 27, perhaps if you like, just close your eyes and let these words of David as this song, let it, let it light up in your mind's eyes. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. 
O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my mother, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, nor false witnesses have uh, risen against, for the false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word to us from the great shepherd, king, poet, singer, uh, David. May his psalm become our psalm too, we pray. By this work of your spirit and your people, amen. This morning, we are going to look at the two main sections in this psalm. They're quite distinct. The first section is verses one through six. And here's what we'll see there. Because of who God is for his people, we are to have confidence. And then the second section, verses 7 through 13, uh, 14, rather, we will see that because of who God is for his people, we are to have courage. First, because of who God is uh, for his people, we are to have confidence. Now, just who is God for his people? Well, look at verse 1. Remember, this is a, is a psalm. It's a, the psalms are what? It's the, it's the hymnal of God's people. These are songs that they sang, and they were, they were written in uh, poetic verse. And so verse 1 has two parallel statements about who God is for David and therefore who he is for his people. First, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then in parallel, he says, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David declares that the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. What is David showing us? He's showing us that biblical faith is relational at its very core. Remember, this is Yahweh that he is singing about. Remember when we read our Bibles, we talk about this many times, but we've got some guests here today. When in the Old Testament, you're reading through the Bible and you see the words, the Lord, in English, where the Lord is all caps, L-O-R-D, that's, that's actually a substitution for the actual name of God that he's revealed to his people. And that name is Yahweh. The name Yahweh is based on the Hebrew word to, uh, for to be. Yahweh is the great I am. He's the God who has always been, and he's the God who's declared to always be there for his people. Christian, I am is our God. I am is for us. I am has drawn us to himself to be in a relationship with him. David says that Yahweh is my light, my salvation, and my stronghold. Light speaks of God's triumph over darkness. Uh, the Apostle John, when he gives an introduction to his, his gospel, and he speaks of the incarnation of God taking on human flesh as he describes Jesus. Here's the words that he says. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. David's first firework that bursts into the skies is, is preparing God's people for the very incarnation that is to come. The time when God came into our darkness, when God walked in our shoes, when he welcomed us into a relationship with him, and when he died and he, then he conquered the darkness of hell so that we who trust in him shall not ever have to walk in that utter darkness. Those who, can say, um, who are able to say with David, he is my light, understand this. Also, David says, he is my salvation. Think of that. The Lord is salvation. Remember in the garden, uh, Adam, well, you weren't there, but you remember in Genesis 3, in the garden, Adam and Eve, uh, they violate the relationship with God, and all hell breaks loose in their lives, right? What was God's first response? His first response was salvation, what did he do? He cried out. He goes, Adam, where are you? Now, did God not know where Adam was hiding? Of course he knew where he was hiding. Then what was going on? God was giving Adam a chance to repent, to experience God's grace, to have his relationship with God restored. My friends, the Lord is salvation. It's his very character to love bruised and broken, needy people and redeem them back to him. And so David launches this glorious firework into the, into the sky where he says, Yahweh is my salvation. And he builds upon this display by saying, the Lord is also my stronghold. You know, when I uh, was in the army, I went through the, the army for a while. Yeah, look at that. There's an army. You go army. All right. All right. Uh, She's dating a, a wonderful army soldier. All right, uh, here we go. So um, when I went to boot camp, I went to boot camp at uh, Fort Leonard Wood in southwest Missouri. And we had other names for Fort Leonard Wood. We called it Fort Lost in the Woods. <laughs> uh, we called it Fort Leonard Rock because of its frustratingly rocky soil. One night we were out on this mock patrol, and we're, I don't know what we're doing. We're out patrolling in the middle of the dark, somewhere, who knows where, Fort Lost in Woods, remember? And the drill sergeant said, it's time to set up a perimeter, which means, gosh, we've got to dig foxholes. And that was tough, especially in the rocky soil. And it was really hot uh, in, in the summertime there. And my battle buddy and I were digging, we're digging, we're digging with these tiny little, with little shovels and trenching tools. And um, so much time passed, and we maybe got this deep, like foot, foot and a half deep, because it's so rocky. Thankfully, though, the drill sergeant, to our surprise, says, you know what, that's enough. But in actual wartime, you're going to have to dig a regulation foxhole. See, when the enemy attacks, you need a foxhole that is deep enough to shelter you. When David says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, he is saying something remarkable. He is saying, greater than any earthly foxhole that you and I could ever dig in order to get through life. There is the Lord who is to be the supreme refuge for his people. A relationship with the Lord and his presence in your life is like an impenetrable stronghold. See, when trouble befalls God's people, he is there to shelter them from the full attack. Now, Christian, make sure you understand this. God is not a reluctant stronghold. He desires to be a stronghold for you in your life. Do you believe that? 
So let me ask you, though, what are the strongholds that you have in your life other than God? What shallow foxhole have you dug in order to protect you against life's darkness? What is it that you are trusting other than Yahweh in your life? You know, one of the challenges of an affluent society is that we're pretty adamant about digging our own foxholes in which to seek to hide out from the brokenness of life. Strongholds like having enough money to keep the hardships at bay. Even our things like family and relationships can be our preferred stronghold instead of the Lord. Problem is that these foxholes that we dig, they're never deep enough to protect us when the darkness attacks. So the challenge for us here this morning is, will you entrust your life to the Lord? Will you, will you satisfy your soul in the truth that the Lord is my light? Will you see that in, that, that in him, in him alone, is salvation that you long for? Will you trust him as your stronghold? David helps us to see this truth that with God as our light and salvation and stronghold, we have no cause to be afraid. Even, even if our lives come to an end, which by the way, they all will, even then we have no reason to be afraid. Our Lord has risen from the grave. He has gone to do what he promised to do, to go and to prepare a room at his father's house for all who trust in him. In verses 2 and 3, David gives us real-life circumstances in which to be confident in the Lord. When evildoers assailed, uh, adversaries and foes, he says, it's they who are going to stumble and fall. Bring a whole army on. Uh, They're going to camp all around me, but my heart will not fear. Wars can come against me, yet I will what? Be confident. David is saying, no matter what comes my way in, the, in this dark and broken world, I will not stumble, nor shall my heart fear. I will be confident because of who God is for me. Well, let's be honest, though. I mean, David's confidence, it just sounds like totally over the top, right? Is he delusional? Is he, is he like way off base? No. Let me ask you, how does anyone gain confidence? Is it not through experience? The gymnast on the balance beam in her 50th competition is far more confident when she was there at her first competition, right? David is singing from experience. Earlier, Ali Maimoni read from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and she read, it, it's actually my favorite part from the David and Goliath story. And it's not the part where he, like, you know, throws the, air, uh, the rock and, and kills uh, Goliath. No, it's the part when David is brought before King Saul, and David says, I can do it. You remember the story, don't you? David's older brothers were at the battlefield. They were on the lines. And every day Goliath approached and mocked and ridiculed the people of God, taunted them and blasphemed God, and no one would go and fight him. Then David arrives from home with some Red Bull and some Slim Jims for his brother. He, I'm joking, he really didn't do that. He hears Goliath's mocking voice and he thinks, I am not afraid, let me at him. 
And then Saul gets drug in, uh, or David gets drug in before Saul, and Saul takes one look at David, and Saul's confidence wanes. Like, you can hear the music. Wah, wah, wah. Saul looks at David's unscarred body and sees but a boy all alone. Saul represents those who do not see God at work in the lives of his people. David, on the other hand, knows his Lord is with him to provide victory. Why? Because David has a track record with his Lord. He has experience in the past when God has delivered him. And so he tells Saul, he's like, Saul, guess what? I've been tending my father's sheep for all of these years. And when I watch over the flock, sometimes a lion will approach and take a lamb. Sometimes a bear will approach and take a lamb. And you know what I've done in every, each and every time? I've killed that lion, I've killed that bear, and I've rescued those lambs, each and every one of them. He expressed why he was confident that the Lord would help him slay Goliath. And then some of the best words in all of scriptures are there. He says, he says to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David is saying, Yahweh has given me victory in the lesser battles in the past, so I have confidence that he will give me victory in this great battle in the future. And Saul simply replies, Go, Yahweh be with you. Some of you here know exactly what David's talking about, don't you? You've walked with the Lord for years now. God isn't just some distant deity who surprises you every now and then with a couple of good gifts. No, you have a relationship with God. He has walked with you and he has cared for you. He has met you in the midst of your trials and tribulations. He carried you when you were too weak and he weakened you when you were too carried away. You, like David, have a real, true, vital relationship with the Lord. And because of who God is for you, you walk with confidence. This leads to the last thought from this section. Because of who God is and this confidence he gives, David's life now has a singular focus, and so too should ours. Few words in Scripture match what we read in verse 4. One thing, see that? The singular focus. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing, says David, one thing and not anything else does David ask for. One thing alone he seeks. What is it? God's very presence in his life. In ancient Israel, God's presence was mostly confined to that one location of the tabernacle or the temple. But you notice that David isn't saying what we often think. God, when the poop hits the fan, then my life will be focused on what you have for me. Nor does David divide his allegiances. He doesn't say, I want both wealth, well, and you, of course, Lord. I want a good-looking Christian spouse, and, well, you too, Lord. I want travel and leisure and smart, well-dressed kids. 
And of course, you too, Lord. No, David has a singular focus. God's presence daily in his life is the one thing he seeks. Oh, how David's words rebuke me. How about you? If you were to answer the question, what is the one thing you want most? Honestly, what would your answer be? David has come to know what we would be wise to know. Everything. Work. Pleasure. Money. None of them truly satisfy. Only relationship with the Lord and his presence in this life and the next can truly satisfy. And with his life firmly attached to the Lord, David rejoices in the hope that this brings. In verses 5 and 6, David acknowledges that, that because God will hide David in his shelter, because the Lord will cover him in his tent and will lift him up in victory upon a rock, um, because of what David is confident that the Lord will do, David says he will do something too. And what is that? He's going to sing and rejoice, make sacrifice. And, and what does he say? Give thanks with shouts of joy. We Presbyterians can learn a bit from David, can't we? When was the last time you couldn't help but worship in all caps? Lord, you are so good. I'm so thankful. No, thankful for who you are, what it means for me. So here's what we see modeled in the the life and words of David. Because of who God is for his people, light, salvation, stronghold. And because only relationship with the Lord can truly satisfy. And because God has lovingly pledged to satisfy his people with his presence. We must wisely seek his presence in our lives above all things. And have confidence when we do. That's the confidence. Now for the courage. Because of who God is for his people, we are to have courage. On April 23rd, 1910, President Teddy Roosevelt gave his most famous speech while he was addressing a large crowd in Paris. He was making a point about how so many were critical of those who were working hard to make the world a better place. And he said these words, perhaps you're familiar with them already. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of good deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. David was a man who knew both victory and defeat. 
He was a man who fought courageously in the arena of life. In the second half of this psalm, and it's quite different from the first, David gives us a glimpse into what the arena can look like. And my friends, we need to see this side of David, don't we? Otherwise, we could become the critic who says, confidence is fine when it's all down on paper, but in the real life, when the rubber hits the road, good luck. God won't be there for you. Your confidence in the Lord is misplaced. One commentator makes this important point. He says, confidence does not eliminate trouble. Don't you wish that your confidence in the Lord would mean that you wouldn't have troubles? Yeah. David helps us to see what it's like when the trouble comes. And when the trouble comes, he says we need courage. It takes courage to press on and to cry out, even when God seems distant. See, the temptation when trials come into our lives isn't to remain and and seek God's presence. The temptation is to turn tail and run or to, to dig some shallow little foxhole to cover ourselves with. It takes courage to wait for God to come and deliver. Now, when you read the accounts of David's life, I think these two things become abundantly clear, and they seem to be at odds with each other. David's entire life was in God's gracious hands. And yet, David's entire life was one of one hardship after another. Confidence does not eliminate trouble. We don't know the occasion that precipitated verse 7, but here David cries out, Look, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. The unbeliever knows nothing of this. The unbeliever would never cry out to God like this. God isn't, either isn't there or he's utterly inco- incapable of a conversation. So you will never find an unbeliever crying out to God this courageously. But the believer, because he or she knows who God is for his people, cries out like this. David is confident that help is on the way, but it has not yet arrived. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Perhaps even today, you're in the arena of life. Darkness, trials, troubles, uh, dusty, bloody face. You know the Lord has promised to come, but he's not arrived yet. David seems to be in a predicament where God is delayed. But of course, God is never late. But sadly, he's also never early either, right? God's timing is impeccable. God seems to be delayed, but David will not run, nor will he craft a puny foxhole of his own making. David knows that only God can lift him upon a rock, and so David will not give in, nor will he turn and run in fear. No, he courageously commits to press on to the Lord, to seek his face no matter what. And so he cries out, amazingly, be gracious, answer me. Look at verse 8. David reminds God of God's own words. 
In the Hebrew, it's actually plural. You have said to all the earth, seek my face. David is saying, Lord, you have called out to all humanity, saying, come to me, your God. God makes the first move, my friends. He calls us to come and love him and center our lives on him. And so David cries out, here I am, responding to your call. You said, seek my face. I'm here, seeking your face. David Kidner says that David understands this important truth. That, listen, God will not ask for our love and then withhold his own. David knows this. And so in verse 9, he says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. There it is again. O God of my salvation. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. What is David doing? What's he doing here? He's rehashing his basis for his relationship with God. David is not saying, as many religious people do, God, I've been good. I fought some battles for you. You owe me a couple. You owe me one. Get me out of here. If you really do care for me, you get me out of this. That's how a religious person speaks to God. David knows, though, that were it not for God's ongoing mercy and grace, each and every day in his life, he would not even have the right to ask for God's rescue. Be gracious, he pleads. Cast me not off, even though I deserve it. Forsake me not, even though perhaps this past week I've forsaken you, my Lord. You know, sometimes we need to remind ourselves in God's presence that our relationship with him is purely based upon his ongoing mercy and grace towards us. God, I cry out to you, not based on my merits, because I've fallen way short this week. I cry out to the merits of your son, Jesus, because he lived and died and rose and pleads for me. For David, proof of God's mercy was found where? It was in the the tabernacle, in the temple, where, where animals were sacrificed to atone for sin. For us today, we have what uh, a far greater um, understanding of mercy and grace and proof of it. We see that in Christ, he is the one that, that God sent to suffer in our sake. Christ was cast off, as David says, for our sins. Jesus was forsaken in our place. And because God the Father hid his face from his only begotten son as he hung on the cross, because God turned his face in anger towards his own son, his servant, it's because of that that we can have confidence and courage to come before God and to, and to cry out for grace, to cry out for an answer. David is being courageous. He is wrestling with God Kind of like Jacob who wrestled with God and who would not stop wrestling with God until God blessed him. David is resolved. He is saying, I will look nowhere else for relief. Not even family will suffice. That's what he says in verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. 
In ancient Israel, the death of one's parents was likened to uh, abandonment and being forsaken. Dave, and this is the language that they use. So David is saying, my, my own parents aren't here to help. But the Lord will take me into his home. And so now, do you notice how we're moving through this text and, and how this song is changing? In verse 11, David now asks the Lord to teach him. Teach me your way, O Lord. You know, when God seems distant and we're tempted to think to ourselves that we've been overlooked or forgotten or forsaken, we must instead perhaps think maybe there's something about the way in which the Lord works that I don't understand. Maybe I need to be taught. Maybe I need to learn from the Lord. When darkness invades your life, do you have the courage to ask the Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Then in verse 11, he asked the Lord, he says, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Now, a level path isn't there for David's comfort, nor is it a road out of his difficulties. A level path does what? It provides a sure footing for when you are in a fight. <laughs> David is saying, okay, I know your ways aren't my ways. I'm a little confused. I know I need to learn something. I know you're allowing this battle in my life. And so if you've allowed this into my life, can you at least give me a level footing so that I can battle And then in a clear reversal from verse 7, remember verse 7 is this crying out. Once again, the confidence returns in verse 13. Look at it. It says, I believe. That's a word of trust. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, this isn't a reference to the afterlife. No, David believes that he will live on through this battle and find himself in a place of peace. And there he will what? He will see God's face. He will behold the beauty of the Lord. Except here, it's not face or beauty. It's goodness. To see God's face rightly is to see his goodness. The goodness here refers to God's gracious character. Many of you have experienced this, right? God has allowed you to enter into some bloody arena of life circumstances. An unbeliever would just tell you, curse God and move on. Perhaps even at the moment, had some doubts. But then God delivers you back into the land of the living, and now you, are, now you know even more than you have before, you're more certain of what you've known before, that God is good, that God is gracious. And then the last verse, 14, it's as if David turns and sings. Remember, this is a song to be sung in the congregation. It's as if he's turning to the whole congregation and he's singing towards them. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Have you ever gone car shopping, and you know the exact model and color that you want? So you show up at the car dealer, and you explain that to the salesman, and he says, he looks around the lot, he scratches his head, and he's like, well, I don't have that particular color, but I've got it in canary yellow. David is saying, don't settle for canary yellow. All right, not exactly, but something along those lines. That's our application this morning. David has, remember the single-mindedness, the single focus of David in verse 4? That, that means he will not be satisfied with anything less than the Lord's presence. 
I'm not taking canary yellow. I want the Lord's presence in my life. I will not be satisfied with these meager foxholes and strongholds that I can build. I'm going to wait upon the Lord. And so he helps us to sing, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David is saying to his fellow worshipers, he's saying, God is worth waiting for. Don't seek for any other substitute. Do not settle for any other stronghold. There is no other light that can penetrate your darkness. There is no other salvation that can truly save the day. There is no foxhole that you can dig that will equal the stronghold of the Lord. So do not settle for canary yellow. Take courage. Wait upon the Lord. Let's wrap up where this psalm begins. How does this psalm begin? With two words, right? Of David. This is David's psalm. But it's in the Psalter for God's people. And not just to sing, but that God's people would make this psalm their own. Can you make Psalm 27 your own psalm? Can you scratch out David's name and insert your own? Can you say Psalm 27 of John? Psalm 27 of Elizabeth? Will you delight in who God is for his people? Will you sing a song of confidence in your Lord, who is your light, your salvation, and your stronghold? Will you sing of the singular focus he has given you in life, the very presence of the Lord in your life? Will you rejoice with shouts of joy in all caps? Will you sing of courage in the midst of life's dark battles? And will you wrestle? Will you plead for God's grace and mercy that is already yours in Christ Jesus? And will you sing of being humbled before the Lord as he teaches you new lessons? And will your psalm accumulate with great courage to wait upon the Lord? Because of who God is for his people, we are able to sing of what he alone can give us, confidence and courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how we need to be taught by you. May we be wise and ask that you would show us through the trials of our lives, through the darkness, through the dark nights and skies, that that you are there. And that there is nothing greater than your presence in our lives. May we be resolved this morning all the more to thrust our lives into your great care. May you be our one and only stronghold, we pray. Amen.